Ready, Nick? Let's do it. All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. Once again, me and my old pal Nick ready to kick it up and kick it loud. Turkey season 2022 is here. The countdown to the fly down, as old cuz says, is nearly upon us. And we cannot wait to get this one tonight underway. Y'all better pull up a chair, get your notepads out, and set a while, because this is going to be a fun one. Nick, I know it's your favorite time of the year, son. I can't say that I'm not a little bit excited getting the buzz going around turkey season. You know, you might turn me into a turkey caller after all. We was down here practicing before anybody got here. We was, and then everybody got in here and started doing it, and it was annoying you. Well, if I ain't doing it, it is a little bit annoying. It's kind of like talking. If I ain't talking, I'm a little bit upset sometimes. So, you know, when you uh, when you made mention of the gentleman that we've got coming on tonight, it was somebody I'd never really heard of other than hearing the KT team guys speak of him and hearing the calls, and I got on YouTube and got to watching some of his stuff, and you know, he's pretty good at what he does. Yeah, he's proven himself pretty good. <laughs> I, would, I would say Excuse very much Excuse me for one minute. Excuse me for one minute. Sound like his dog ran out on him. <laughs> second. Well, you know, it was a it was a good thing to see uh, and a good you know opportunity for us to uh, to get the gentleman on tonight. And I think the fun thing about it is we're going to get to hear about a, a a hobby that we really don't know that much about. No, we don't. And we've you know we've talked to several people about this, but we've never dived off into this conversation. And I think it's a good a good start for what people want to build for their career for turkey hunting. Well, I'd say it's a good start when you bring on a, a gentleman of this caliber. So, without further ado, you know, a seven-time NWTF Grand National Champion, a four-time Friction Grand National Champion. He's the owner of High Class Calls. He's a member of our very own KT team family. He's from Brookville, Pennsylvania originally. And I'd like to welcome to Talk About It Outdoors, Mr. Matt Van Sass. Good evening, guys. Matt. Is this the first podcast you've ever done? This is the first one. So we got we got one in our belt right there. All right. Have you ever sat down and had a conversation with a guy that loves turkey hunting and a guy that absolutely despises turkey hunting? No, I haven't. He's, well, there we go. He's not that bad, man. He's, he's, he's trying to pull me over to the dark side. He's working on me every day. <laughs> he's, he's all about these big deer, but we're going to get him on this side. He's surrounded yeah. by turkey hunters, and he, he realizes how big the family is in the turkey community. It's very much been a been an opportunity to see the the passion that people put into it, and I think that's something, Nick, I've told you a lot. It's it's a traditional thing, and turkey hunting, to me, holds a, holds a passion that you just can't match in any other sport that's out there, and I've made mention of that several times to you. I wish I had the, the passion for it as much as I like reading and writing what people paint into words with uh, the turkey hunting community. Yeah, I think turkey hunting goes back to uh, you can't you can you can change a lot of your style in deer hunting the way you hunt deer, stalk deer, and do this and that. You just can't change that much. I mean, turkey hunting's pretty. I mean, you can you can get better at what you do, but I mean that turkey's he's on his feet every day, man. He's got a lot of people after him. Well, uh, Matt, you know, for everyone out there that doesn't know who you are, would you would you take us back all the way to the beginning and you know tell us where you grew up and tell us how you got into to the outdoors? It doesn't necessarily have to be turkey hunting, but where'd you start and get your uh, get your first lessons in the woods at? Well, I I grew up in uh, Grand Valley, Pennsylvania, which is Warren County, a little closer to our big national, the Allegheny National Forest, 
Um, and my dad was not a turkey hunter. He was a deer hunter, small game hunter. Um, in the fall season, an opportunistic turkey hunter. If he was a rabbit hunting with dogs and one flew up in the tree, he'd kill it. You know, it was never uh, was a passion of his. So I started with just like him with small game, squirrel hunting, deer hunting. And when I was 13, some of my friends in school had turkey calls one day. And that intrigued me. And over the next few years, I we practiced and learned and got better. And took me, I didn't really have anybody that knew much about turkey hunting. So I didn't kill any turkeys the first few years. And once I got into my senior year in high school, there was a local guy that came to the school I was at and did a seminar. And I got to meet him through kind of a crazy story. His name was Doug LaBole. And his son was selling me his turkey calls. But what I didn't know was the everyone I got was like the best call I'd ever had. He was stealing his dad's turkey calls. Oh, my God. The one his dad was setting aside, he was stealing them and selling them to me. So I was getting, I mean, I didn't know at the time that he had them in his mouth. And at that point, <laughs> you know, I, I had no idea. But I was getting the best, the cream of the crop. So that really helped. You know, it helped me to advance. Well, then I got to meet him and got to be real close friends. And I called with him and for him. And learned a lot, but I just happened to be in, in Erie, Pennsylvania at a outdoor show and there was a sign for a calling contest and that kind of triggered the whole thing for me. And over the next year, I, you know, I talked to guys about it and got the information and that was, I started in 96, um, Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania is where I called in my very first contest. Had you, had you been, had you been pretty successful in that, in the woods turkey hunting before this? At that point, that was the second year that I had killed turkeys. Okay. So um, I don't remember what year it was I started, but 95 was the first year I actually killed turkeys. And then going forward, I never had much issue after that. Now, how hard is it to um, turkey hunt in Pennsylvania? Well, there's a – you hear a lot of people tell you that it's pretty tough here, but I've hunted a lot of harder places. Yeah. Um, the biggest issue here is for we have a lot of public land, but a lot of our uh, private land has still it's might as well be public because a lot of people don't really care too much for the most part. Um, I mean, there's some areas where people do care, but one thing I noticed, like when I go to Ohio or any of the southern states, if you have permission to hunt a property. Many times you're the only person that's allowed on that property. We're here. If they give you permission, they've probably given 15 other people permission as well. And that's why I say it's all like public ground. But the area that I live in and hunt in, um, we still have a, a pretty healthy population. And I really don't find it that hard to kill the turkeys that we have here. I've hunted harder places. Gotcha. So when you first started calling in those competitions, did, did people come up to you, Matt, and think, man, you got what it takes? Or, or were you just intrigued by the competition part of it because you like competing? No, I mean, I was, I was competitive at it. Um, I was never much for sports. I was never much for a lot of other things, but so when I got into this, I was very passionate. I was competitive and yeah, I got a lot of compliments and I started off good. You know I mean? I, I was, I placed behind a couple of world champions, world champions in my second contest that I ever called in was third behind a couple of them, you know, some, 
Chris Kirby was one of them. Everybody knows the Kirby family name from Quaker Boy. Um, my second year, I won the, the second year call and I won the Intermediate Grand Nationals and went to Birmingham or Bessemer, Alabama and placed uh, fourth in the Open at the World Championships. And that kind of, you know, that really set a fire for me. But When you first got started <laughs> calling, Matt, did it, did it really resonate the level that you were calling against, or was it just you're in a competition, you're there to be the best? Is that what you were driving yourself for? Did you know those guys but prior to competing against them? No, in the first contest I went to, I knew one guy. That was a guy, was Doug LeBole that I went with. And uh, I made some, you know, lifelong friends in that very first contest. And, uh, but no, I didn't know those people. And I was there to win. And I was, I was mad when I didn't place or win in my very first. I never called in an amateur. I call, I started in the open division and, you know, went from there. You think that made you better as you went starting at that point? Um, likely. Yeah. Was it about, go ahead just my competitive nature with it. You know, I, I, I am a sore loser. I don't like to lose. So. <laughs> I like it. And that's, you know, that's probably what made you as successful as it's been. I mean, people really don't realize, I didn't realize the amount of time and energy it takes to go into these contests. I mean, you're really spending hours and hours and hours perfecting your craft to get in there. Because oh, there was, there was days like this year leading up to, going to Nashville, there was days leading up to it that I spent eight hours just practicing running turkey calls. And, you know, on top of that, I'm building calls every day, trying to get ready to have calls in the booth and for people to spy and that kind of stuff. Do you think that uh, the, all right, walk me through and me being unknowledgeable or ignorant to the, to the turkey prep or the turkey calling preparation Walk me through what you go through in a mindset. Do you practice with your mouth calls? Or are you just practicing practicing with friction? Are you trying, you know, uh, a trumpet? I well, don't, I don't know. <laughs> in my case, I'm I do both divisions, so friction um, doesn't require as much effort for me just because I'm building turkey calls every day, friction calls. So I'm running them. I'm I'm getting some of that. Now in the the open division, I really don't start until sometime in December and the first week or two, it's just, um, building airflow, muscle memory, that type of stuff, just because I've been out of practice for a month or two. And then usually about, I think I started a little sooner this year, but about two weeks before, but I think I was three weeks before the contest this year, I started, we have a scenario format and they give you a, basically a morning scenario where you have, four compulsory calls and you're, you try to paint a picture of what these turkeys would do as they wake up, fly down. So that whole scenario has to be done in three minutes or less. If you go over three minutes, you, they dock you, they take points away. So that's where that, that starts. And that takes a lot of air for, I can't speak for everybody, but the calls that I run are a heavier latex and tighter stretch. So it takes quite a lot of air. So that was a big thing for me was to do it a few times every day until I figured out how to get it all in and that amount of time. And you're trying to paint a picture and you have to, the real key to it, to be successful with it is it has to sound like Turkey's actually having a conversation. 
I'm guessing so, a whole lot of heavy cigarette smokers <laughs> been in, in uh, I'm not even, no, competition. Not even, no. I'd say there ain't no guys up there putting a marble out walking up on stage to blow a mouth call. <laughs> not that I see anymore, no. If, you know, when you're prepping for that and getting ready for that matter, are you videoing yourself or do you have a coach that comes over and helps you? No. No, I record, I record most everything I do. Not all, not all the time, but I'm always recording, but, um, she's not here right now and she's, she doesn't like to, but I actually trust my wife's ear as much as anybody. I ask her when I, you know, if I think I got something right, or I think I'm hearing something, I'll ask her because I will, I will push myself to a point where I'll, I'll go somewhat tone deaf where I got, I just have to stop. Let me ask you this. Does this do you try to set up a scenario that the stage is going to look like? So you try to find that sound because I know it's bouncing off different things being in that big environment there. Well, I the stage has been for the most part, the stage has been the same for as long as I've been going there. So the the one thing I do that I don't think a lot of other guys do, I have since as long as I've called, I always go in the room and match my calls to what I'm hearing in the room. It's not so much for what the judges hear, but it's for me because I might have 15 calls with me that I to yelp on, and they they may all sound the same to you, but just little different things that I hear when I'm doing it gives me more confidence in in my ability to do what I need to. So you actually go to the call room up there to practice mm-hmm. to find that. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. 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 There's there's you know my mind's sitting here spinning right now, so. If you're going into a competition and you're planning on using a mouth call and you're planning on using a friction call, do you ever find yourself going kind of tone deaf when you're playing one or the other more more so? Oh, yeah. And I got like this year, I got to a point where um, I would not run my friction before I did my air stuff because the volume on it is enough that it would mess with my ears. It would, but my ears would actually pop if I did it in the house. And with the weather we've had this year, I'm not going outside and <laughs> negative temperatures and run Turkey calls. So I, I kept my friction practice short because of the volume. And, but I always made sure I did the mouth calls, the air stuff first. It's interesting because I, I you know, I wasn't, cause we were working the booth. I wasn't, I wasn't able to watch you call. And, you know, I know a lot of other people do it too, but he keeps those mouth calls in his fingers mm-hmm. So he's not really, I guess you got them figured out which one to grab or which one right. you're pulling out. So do you, do you have to remember, memorize that or, cause I know the stages. No, I know pretty much what, what they are just by the way they look, you know, that, um, I think I'm trying to think, I think they all three had something a little different on the tape. I had three different calls in the, the uh, second scenario. And I think I had two in the first one. So, yeah. Now that I can tell a difference in what they do. Um, the biggest thing with that setup, the room's always real dry. And of course your mouth is dry when you're up there competing. So there was several times this year where right at the end of a, a series, the call actually dried up on me. And when they do that, I run a, it's a reverse combo. It's a big cut and I read will flip back and stick to itself. So I could feel it. I knew it was going to do it. And right on the last note, I could feel that it flipped back and I just, I switch it. And, you know, and as I switch calls, there was never any mistakes made because I could feel it. I'm comfortable enough with my calls. I know when it's going to happen. 
So that's a big thing is knowing what you're doing when you're up there because it means a lot to those of us that do it, and it's pretty good money when you win. Yeah, yeah, from what I heard, there is. <laughs> when you when you go back to um, let's go back all the way to you first started. The first time you got on stage, did you have anything that you done like a nerve that you? I I tell you this real quick. When I when I went up last year, I was the first time I ever called. I almost choked on my mouth call, and somebody told me I would. Well, then I was talking to Carrie, and Angie told me that he. I guess he took a drink of water. I hate to tell this on Kerry, but he took a drink of water and like spit it out everywhere. He was so nervous. So <laughs> did you have anything like that, Matt? No, I really didn't. Uh, I mean, I was nervous, but I, I really didn't. I can't recall of having anything like that. Matt's got ice Stone cold, son. Stone cold ice when it comes name. to that turkey calling. <laughs> I won't mention the name, but he doesn't do it anymore. But we had a, a, a pretty good competitor that used to. He would throw up every time before he'd go on the stage. Really? Messed him up so bad. Now, do you do you find yourself getting into the – I watch these competitions. I've watched a few videos. Do you find yourself, you know, getting like you're a turkey, moving your body like you're yeah. a turkey, or do you just get up there and you just run it? No, I just do. I mean, I – one of the things I have always done too is it's all – I know what my calls sound like when they're when they're right. So – a big thing for me is finding a place on that stage where I hear them right. And if you've anybody that's watched enough, if they ever watch for 20 years, I've, I've worked a certain area on that stage and it's just, it's not because it sounds better to the judges. It's because I hear it best in there. That room is big and there's a lot of different levels and ceilings and stuff. So if you turn and face the crowd or the judges, there's a lot of bouncing around. It bounces back through the speakers and it can mess with your head a little bit. So there's, I just have always faced a certain way because I hear the call before I get all that feedback. I'm actually hearing what it's doing. Now you got something, Nick. No, go ahead. Uh, who was the one guy through all the years that you've competition called that you dreaded to see walk in then and now it could be someone back in the day and it could be somebody different now, but who is that one guy that you dreaded seeing most? Well, it's changed because I've done it long enough. I mean, there was, when I first started, it would have been Walter Parrott. Um, and I never really dreaded seeing him. Uh, those are the kind of guys you have to beat if you want to be at that level. But then there, I mean, there's been, there's been three that really, really stood out in my, you know, over my career. And that would have been Walter Parrott. Chris Parrish was top. I mean, he was, Chris Parrish was on top of his game when I started and clear up till he quit, I think in 2013. Uh, he was one of those guys that when he went on the stage to call, everybody went around to the back of the room and watched and you stood there and hoped for him to make a mistake because he was going to be top three. I mean, he has Chris has nine second places at the Grand Nationals. <laughs> He's won it a couple of times and has nine second places, and several of them are by a point. So, just consistency, probably one of the most consistent ever. But Walter Barrett was another one that you know he was. I think he won his one or two of his last Grand National Championships in the first few years I was doing it, and he was still pretty competitive into the. Yeah, the you know 2005, 2006, maybe even a little later than that. But who else, Matt? You said three. I think you only said yeah, two. Didn't got you? Two oh, of them. The yeah. Jim Pollard. Jim Pollard. Uh, I'm not sure when he started calling. I think it was before me. 
but I didn't really know him. I met him the first time around 2000 in a uh, contest in New York. In 2003, he just cleaned house from then on from for just a few years. He won three grand nationals in a row. Wow. He was the first person to ever do that. And then, you know, won a couple world championships and some other contests as well. So is there anybody Jim, is there anybody in this age now? There are. Um, Dave Owens is always right there. Uh, and Jesse Martin. Those two guys are. And there's a lot of good callers, but those two guys right there are always going to be in the mix. Yeah. Jesse missed his complete uh, kiki or something. He forgot to purr. Oh, yeah. purr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's taken quite a beating over it since then. <laughs> I bet they some trash talking goes oh, on yeah, behind the scene between you boys. To, to him. I mean, it's been – it's all in good fun. And I told right. him, I said, that's what happens when you are – at that level when you're as good as you are everybody's looking for something to pick at so that's awesome i know that one of those team members that called them i, I went in there and watched the uh intermediate because i had a friend of mine calling up there and mm -hmm. uh that matt presley man he he's really oh, impressive boy, he's that's the future of it there absolutely yeah, he is really impressive do you think yeah. the passion has shifted now though matt from when it was back in the day oh absolutely and i it was it was pretty incredible to see when I started, uh, but not quite what it was. I'm going to say early nineties, clear through to 2000 or so. Um, I, in my honest opinion, outdoor television, along with deer hunting, outdoor television has completely changed turkey hunting and probably not in a good way. It is the focus is now a hundred percent on kill, just numbers. That's all you hear people talk about. The when I started turkey hunting, if somebody found out that a guy crawled on a turkey, the town I lived in, I mean, you were you were just <laughs> you were made fun of. People called you names for you know. It's like oh, there's a guy there. He can't kill a turkey without his knee pads. Oh now, man! Today's hunters, a big percentage of today's hunters really don't know how to work a turkey, and it's all you know. We now have super high definition decoys, highly realistic decoys, uh, pop-up lines. And now with TSS, I mean, you've, you, and with some of these guns, you've doubled the distance that we used to have. When I started, you had a three inch or a three and a half inch mag. Um, most of the time it was copper plated sixes or fours. And if, if you got 20 or 30 in a head and neck at 40 yards and a few in this, in the spine, you know, in the, the neck bone, that was a heck of a gun. And now we're talking a 20 gauge putting over 400 in a 10 inch circle at 40 yards mm -hmm. with this TSS. It's just absolutely crazy. What would you like to see change off of that, Matt? I would just like to see more of the younger generation actually learn to be turkey hunters before they're taught to be killers. Right. Because I don't think that I think it has made so it is we have made it so easy on them that the expectation is so high to kill that they had the art of turkey hunting has been lost. And that really goes into any kind of outdoor activity that we do. I mean, deer hunting's the same way. I mean, with the you know, the the rifles and the bows that are out today. I mean, it's changed across the board and it goes back to woodsmanship. Kids don't know woodsmanship today. Mm -mm. They know go out no. and set over a bait pile and shoot a deer as it walks in, and that's all they know. They don't they don't know how to track sign or they don't. I was listening to um, uh, the guy that was on the Between the Times podcast. What was his name? Um, 
and, and he made he made very good mentions in there about how to how to work turkeys and he said my son hasn't killed a turkey yet because he hasn't learned how to work a turkey yet and i just yep. thought that was very neat to he was teaching him that and kudos to him for wanting to teach him that woodsman skill you know oh, woodsmanship absolutely. i mean it, yep. it goes into anything we do and I'll be, I mean, I'm the first one. I'm not going to throw no stones at nobody. I've done things that I'm not proud of on turkey hunting. I've fanned them up, and I won't do it no more. I've, I've, oh, as I have I, too. As I've got older, but, and I've had this conversation with a couple other people, I don't want them to take that away for the simple fact there's people out there like Jason that I think sometimes, cool. you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not speaking for Jason, but I think sometimes people like that need that. We need those decoys out there sometimes for them. So I don't, yeah, want, I don't, I don't want them to punish I, I'm us not for taking that away either. Yeah. I would agree with you. Yeah. Um, I don't think we should be trying to take hunting opportunity away from hunters. No, uh, no, none at all. And I, I, there's a fan in my truck every year that might get used over sometimes 10 different States. It might get used once or twice. And there's in the beginning of the season, there's two, uh, avian X decoys thrown in the back of the truck and they probably get used two or three times through a whole season. Um, I have a double bull blind from way back when double bull was before primos. I don't even like to hunt out them on a rainy day, but if I got a bird that's coming to the middle of a field and there's no other way of getting to them, I'm not afraid to use it to kill them, but it's, it's all part of it. And I just think that we, we've made it so easy that we forgot to teach them how to be turkey hunters, but that goes for deer hunting too. Absolutely. How many people are there today that can actually kill a deer? without using trail cameras and all the, you know, the hunting apps and all that other stuff that's out there. Now, how many guys can go in the woods and read sign and kill an animal? Very few, very few. I mean, it's a thing that's fading with the times and, and, and I think it goes with everything that we do. It, It plays into every aspect of it. If you don't have a phone or a, game boy or nintendo in front of a kid they get bored now and they they start to lose interest and you try to drum you want to get them in the outdoors but you want to make it where they enjoy it and whereas we were growing up if you weren't in the woods you was going to be at home working i mean that was just right we're going to chicken house (laughs) when we get done by deer hunting this morning to walk through chicken house i mean it wasn't no fun time it was i'm gonna sit here as long as i can because i know when i get home dad's got to set a post hole diggers (laughs) waiting on my butt i mean and I think that's that goes with anything. I mean, it, there's a changing of the times, but you make a very valid point there that outdoor TV has ruined it in a lot of aspects, but I think there has been a big shift and a change. And, in, in, well, just look at what Dave does. I mean, Dave's got a great show out there that kids yeah. can be drawn to, and maybe it does teach them again, and maybe it does come full circle where the old ways come back to play, and I, I hope so anyway. I hope so too. I hope there's, I hope there's room for – for people to learn from those things, you know, and if they want to do it for a little while, let them do it. And then they'll, you know, people grow out of things, doing things. And Well, I want to ask this, and this is just an interesting conversation and I've seen it in bass fishing. There's a, there's been a shift in the, in the way in. So used to, it was just, you pull up in your boat, you get out, you weigh your fish. That's the excitement of the competition. Now you've got these guys that are pulling up in their boat and they're flashing, you know, they're, they're flashing lights and there's all kinds of music playing and there's excitement and there's been a re a revigoration of those weigh-ins where kids want to see that stuff happening. Would you like to see it, it become a little more exciting for a turkey calling competition or do you stay on that traditional and does it die with the times or do you change with the times? That's my curiosity. Um, it with the exception of the NWTF, uh, 
with the exception of NWTF, it has changed. The numbers are way down at the local level. Um, it's hard to even find a contest. For those that have to qualify, it's hard to find a contest to even get in to, to qualify. So the NWTF, they did, you know, walk-up music. They changed this, the format. They put the judges out front. Um, numbers still dropped. And we, we have a healthy number that still comes there. But that's it. That's the biggest contest there is. So you can expect to see that continue. But with that, uh, with the outdoor TV thing, when I first got into it, people came to turkey calling contests to learn to turkey call. Right. Because the only way to get that was either you'd go to the uh, sporting goods store and rent your, your hunting videos, but you came there to see your guys like Walter Parrott and Chris Parrish and all these guys. So now they don't have to do that. They can go on YouTube and learn how to call from any of them. The guys that want to learn how to call, they don't have to go. So that's that's been a big change in it. And I really don't see that coming back just because of everything, the access we have to everything now. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. When you guys were up there calling this year, and, and maybe this is the first time I've noticed it, but why how did why did the judges know who you guys were calling? They they don't know until after the you're done calling, but there's a good chance in that top 13, there's a good chance that a big percentage of those judges know as soon as you make a sound because everybody's kind of has their own thing. You know, everybody has their own sound. And it's a matter of being able to pick judges that are capable of scoring you and not being biased. The reason I asked that, reason I asked that is, is when I watched that on Facebook Live and they, they would interview you guys after you finished. Yep. Was that, was that as soon as you finished or was that clipped in later? No, that was as soon as you were finished. They, yeah. The judges are sitting with their backs to you. Right. And when they when you're all done calling and they're all done scoring, then the MC would have them turn around. Okay. And they would, they would critique. And that's, that is in the NWTF did that for the audience. They were trying to bring the crowds back. I mean, you go back 15 years ago, maybe not even that far. And it, those rooms were, not even standing room. They were completely jammed full, four or 5,000 people in that room to watch a calling contest. And this year it was down. I still think some because of COVID, but I was pretty surprised at the crowd. We still have a lot of time standing room only for the senior open. You don't see that in any other division there. Uh, the friction division is one of the, one of the bigger, one of the bigger divisions. And I'd say you'd be lucky if you had 150 people in the room a lot of times with that. Yeah. But it fills up for the senior open. Yeah. Matt, I know you have several kids that call for you. And mm -hmm. and I, I'm guessing those kids kind of come underneath your wing. I'm guessing – I don't know if they live near you or how does that work. Can you run us through that? Well, I'll start with, with Bo was the first one, Bo Bartlebaugh. Yep. And his dad bought a call from me. I think, and I'm trying to think, I think it's been five or I can't even remember. He was seven years old. So he bought a call for me and he took that call and went to the Pennsylvania state championships and won either the first or second time that he ever called there at seven years old. Mm -hmm. So I called him and asked him if he would like to be part of my team. And he's just kind of a, when it comes to Turkey calling, the kid's a freak, you know, and then, 
So that was Bo. He's won a couple Grand Nationals now. Um, I think three, actually. So okay. Um, and then Addie Washko. She called the first time I had ever seen her was at Grand Nationals in 2020, and she placed there in her her division. And her dad asked me if I would be interested, and I said absolutely. Would love to have her wear my shirt and run the calls and stuff. So. Um, you know, we had a year off because of COVID. So then she goes down there this year and wins a grand nationals in her division. So, and then I have Colby, um, Butler from Vermont. He was, uh, he's an intermediate now. He, I think he ended up fourth this year. I asked him if he wanted to be part of it. Cause he's just, uh, I got a soft spot for the, a lot of the people in Vermont, New Hampshire, any of the people I've met up there are uh, just really super people. So. Um, him and his family were just such good people. I just, it was a good fit. Gotcha. You know, and, I, and then there's a lot of other kids using the calls, but a lot of them have bought them. I've given a few of them to them, but a lot of them have just bought calls and I didn't even know that's what was happening. And then you, you sit there in the room and it's, you know, three quarters of the, those young kids are running a box call that I made. So that makes you feel pretty good. That's a question you ain't asked yet, Nick. And I'm a little surprised. We found out that Matt was from PA. Did you ever hunt with a flintlock growing up? <laughs> I did not. Um, I am I am right-handed. So when I was 10 years old, I shoved a wire in my right eye. So I had to learn to shoot left-handed. And the only access I ever had to a flintlock growing up was my dad's, and it was a right-handed flintlock, and I was not about to shoot that gun left-handed. So <laughs> I never thought about that, and I'm a lefty, and I thought, man, I want to shoot one of them flintlocks, but I never thought about that explosion yeah. scalding half my face <laughs> off when it went yeah, off. Yeah, so I never have. Um, I guess I won't either, Nick. I guess I won't you're, you're out on that <laughs> one. I'm out on that one, boys, if y'all hear me. They make a left-handed one, though. I just have never been around one. I, yeah, they I do make them left-handed. I could try it right-handed. I guess I, I could get it up there. I had never pondered on that whatsoever. We've we've got a friend of ours, um, and we talk about him a lot on the show. But um, he's going after uh, the the turkey grand slam this year with a flintlock. He's going oh, he's yeah. going to chase it. So should be a pretty Matt, neat have, story. Have you been? Do you do the forty nine chasing the forty nine or anything? Or no, um, it really doesn't mean anything to me. I just try to go. You know, I still work as a forester, so um, I'm limited to what I have for vacation. Gotcha. Uh, so I can hunt, you know, for an hour or two in the mornings here most morning before I have to go to work around home. So I still love to kill turkeys, like to kill as many as I can in the season. So I just try to, you know, I pick my states where I, I really like to go to the northeast because they they still have good populations. Uh, access to ground is a lot easier than southern states. And, you know, for, I can be there in seven hours. I can kill two turkeys in one state, jump to the next state, kill two, jump to the next state and kill two if I want to. So I prefer to do that. That's, but the, the 49, you know, it, it just, it's not for me. It doesn't really mean anything to me. Yeah. I, I got a lot of friends that are pursuing it and doing real well with it, but um, I'm happy as long as I'm somewhere where there's gobbling turkeys and I get to hunt them. How, how, how much different out there hunting? With the you know, and I know you never say this, but as good a caller as you are, do you still find that it's very tough to call in certain birds, or I don't know how I really want to ask it. Certain species? No, not really. Just 
Do you ever have one that just whips your butt no matter what you throw at him? Oh, I think we all have that. The, yeah. the difference in a, I guess you call it a killer, and then your average guy is in a day or two, I'm going to figure out how to kill him. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm confident in that. And it may not be with a call. You know, it, I'm, it may be positioning. It may be a lot of things, but it may not always be with a call. But uh, the hardest place I ever hunted was in the National Forest in Alabama. And some of it was just that you would get there one day and there'd be three cars in the parking lot. You get there the next day, there's nobody there. And you get on a gobble and turkey and I'm thinking, okay, I got his number. I'm going to kill him tomorrow morning. And if nobody was there, when you got there, that turkey never made a sound. He wasn't, I don't know if he wasn't there, but he never made a sound. And so that was what made it hard was I, you know, I never, I didn't really have any time to scout it when I was there, but it wasn't like other places. There was so much pressure that, I just didn't have enough time to feel them out and get it figured out. How much, how, what, I guess, what do you think the percentage is, is what, like, if you hear somebody calling on, I don't know, like online, if you've watched a YouTube video and somebody doesn't sound as good as what you think they should, what do you think the the percentage is of like how much it goes up being a better caller, like advancing yourself? Because like, I think somebody can go learn from you guys when they go to a competition, like you said, that's that wants to make you be a better caller because you're hearing these different sounds that you don't normally hear. So do you right. think? Well, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm done. You're going to hear, you'll hear a lot of guys say that all oh, the call no matter. It's all woodsmanship. It's all a lot of other things. But I, like I just said, I travel all over the United States hunting different places. And 99% of the time I'm hunting a place that I know nothing about. Um, I, I know absolutely nothing about the ground there other than a map that's on my phone. The difference in a good caller and an average caller is I'm going to make turkeys gobble that the other guys won't. I do it day in, day out with good callers that I hunt with. There's things that I have, I've learned that will make turkeys gobble that we'll sit there and have a bird gobble and it's three or 400 yards away deciding what we're going to do. And these guys will do, they'll call, they'll call again, they'll call again, they'll crank on it. They're cutting and yelping and they'll do all that to make them gobble. And I'll throw two or three notes at them and they're cutting me off. And it's not just about sounding like a turkey, but it's paying attention to those things that make them respond. So, drop the mic, pump your brakes. That's a good one there, boy. Killing a turkey and calling to one or two different things. It's at that point there are there are some just stone cold killers out there that that are good callers as well. But once they have a location on that turkey, it's not going to be his day. You know, he's he's probably not going to make it to see the next day. So there's a lot of that out there as well, but there's a lot of guys that are just not, uh, they're not humble enough to admit that a good caller is going to make turkeys gobble that other people won't. That's the big thing. Uh, they don't all work like they should. So that's where you figure out how to get to a position that you need to be to kill him. How you, you know, and maybe it's with calling, but maybe it's not with calling, but, that's the important part is I just made him tell me where his location is and 10 other guys may have walked through there and he never said a peep to them because they weren't convincing enough. Do you hunt out West for the Merriam's much? No, I haven't. I I've been out. I hunted one time. Um, I killed a Merriam in 2005. I killed a grand slam in 2005 and I have not been back since. So did you find any, we asked Dave Owens this when he was on. Did you did you call did you feel like your calling technique was any different out there or was it the same as, as an Eastern? 
I really didn't have much of a difference. Now I know I got friends that hunt there. They, they say that they, instead of cutting at them, they do more of a pipping sound. Yeah. But as far as the yelping, I, I didn't notice much different. And, uh, the, the birds we were on, I really think would gobble at rocks being slapped together. That, but that didn't mean they were coming. I mean, we crawled on tag them. Tag me and coach. <laughs> tag me and coach. <laughs> no matter the you. Ones a, we killed, we crawled on. So. Are you a, uh, a yip three times and set quiet or are you a run and gun kind of hunter? Oh no, I'm not a, I'm not a patient person. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm move, If I don't think it's going to work out, I'm on the move trying to get closer to him, trying to figure out how to get him killed. Yeah. I may have found me a turkey hunting partner <laughs> after all, Nick. Y'all been telling me to be patient. I may have to go run with Matt some and get, I can be if I have to be, but it just depends on where I'm at and what I'm doing, you know? So, but most of the time, no, I'm, I'm trying to get to a place where I can get him killed. Are you a solo hunter or do you prefer to hunt with someone? Um, I really don't get to hunt that by myself that often. I bet. Anymore, right? my, I, guess I hunt with my wife, my wife and I, I always save like the first week for her. Um, so her and I usually hunt together that first week and I usually will get a day or two here. And then last year I went, I think other than, uh, other than one day, maybe two days in Pennsylvania by myself, I went to Maine and hunted by myself for two days. Okay. Or no, I hunted one day up there. I got there on a Sunday and hunted Monday till t- ten o'clock and came home. Nice. So, um, what do you? Is there somebody out there, Matt, that you haven't hunted with that you'd like to go with? Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right now, I can't think of it. I've got to hunt with a lot of the. I mean, the guys. I never did get to hunt with Chris Parrish. Um, I've got to hunt with God Water Parrot and Jim Pollard and Billy Yargis. Uh, all, you know, there these guys, Sadler McGraw, all these guys that have been my friends all these years. So there's some guys I guess I'd like to hunt with, but not, you know, nothing special. Yeah. Nothing that really stands out. At the beginning of the show, Matt, you know, we made mention that you are a member of the K- KT team family. Uh, and mm-hmm. I-, I want you to tell everyone out there that may, you know, may or may not know about the KT team. How did that experience in getting involved with them change you well from the get-go the the thing that stands out about them is just the kind of people they are but you don't really get to see what kind of people they are until you get to go there and and share that experience of the the whole thing the hunt the uh the cooking out in the evenings the dinners during the day um you know the the kt team is a for those that don't know, you guys may have mentioned it on here. I'm not sure, but for those that don't know, it's a charity organization that is this the sole thing, and behind it is to take disabled hunters and uh, introduce disabled people into the outdoors. So, I got to go and hunt with Jason Beard and call a turkey in for Jason Beard, and to experience that, to experience his level of excitement after the shot is just kind of a once in a lifetime thing for me. And I mean, it, hopefully it's not, but up to this point, I've never quite experienced anything like it, but in my eyes, a real hero in that situation is Carrie Terrell. If people knew what he has done for, for Jason Beard, it's just, you know, he goes there and wakes him up every morning and gets him out to Turkey on it, It's a major ordeal to get these guys to the woods and to see the passion and the fact that, 
it, it brings him to tears every time Jason harvests a bird. And he's, he's harvested quite a few at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just, uh, he's a one of a kind human being in my eyes. Yeah. We've all, we've often said that if we all had a friend that was more like Carrie Terrell, we would all be a lot better off. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Without a doubt. Yeah. Matt had some, but, not- but the whole team. Everybody oh, absolutely. Had, yep. You know, all of them are just great people and they're they're when you're there with them, it's more like a family than anything else. Yeah. It was definitely one of those opportunities in life that you, you don't take lightly when you leave, you, you can't leave from down there without a smile on your face and, uh, you know, a wholeness in your heart. I mean, and if you, if you go there and you don't get that, you, you better rethink the way you live in life. Cause it really, right. I mean, it did, it changed our whole outlook on a lot of things that we've done. And, and we only spent less than, less than a day and a half with them. I mean, we, but we were up till three o'clock in the morning. I was in there listening to Carrie run turkey calls. And I, I only yeah. really care to hear it, but I was like, <laughs> Hey, we'll play that thing again. I'll listen to you. And, I was yeah. eating powdered donuts and he was playing turkey calls. I won't never forget that. <laughs> about three thirty in the morning. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. And then we got up at four thirty. <laughs> wired for sound. <laughs> oh my goodness, Matt. What's um if if let's say because we got a lot of young listeners listening to this. If they was a young listener want to get into um competition calling, what kind of advice would you give that of guys or even adults too? Well, the first thing is you've got to. I don't always because of my competitive nature, but you got to have fun with it. But there's, there's a lot to learn, so be willing to learn. Ask questions. Ask for help because most, most of the guys out there are more than willing to help. But the, the, the thing that has made me more successful, I believe, than most other people is I have always compared everything I did to wild turkeys. I have never went and listened to the guy that beat me and tried to sound like him. In my opinion, that I'm always chasing him if I'm doing that. So just listen to turkeys and then think about it in a way that would make sense. You have to present it in a way that, that somebody sitting there wants to hear more of it when you're done. I learned a lot of things by judging. When I judge contests, of it doesn't matter if it's owl hooting, gobbling, turkey, you know, open calling or what it is. Nine times out of 10, there comes a point in a guy's routine where you're thinking, now would be a good time to stop. And they just continue going and going and going. And some of it is nerve. Some of it is it sounds so good to them. They don't realize that they've gone way past what they should have done to make it sound realistic. But have fun with it and try to sound like turkeys. That's a big thing. You know, something that just crossed my mind is, is, you know, mouth calls. A lot of people want to learn how to use a mouth call. And, and mouth calls can get kind of expensive if you're not building them for yourself. And when, if, if there's a new person wanting to do that, Matt, what do you – what do you recommend to them to find the right cut that sounds good? Is there, is there something that they can do other than just buying them and, and trying them? Well, if you have access to it, the absolute best thing is to find somebody that builds calls that is willing to let, let you come to their shop or their house and sit and work with you and build, you know, build you calls until you get what you like. That's the best way to do it. If you're not willing to, or don't have the money to start out building your own stuff. That's right. That's right. Matt, what are you um what are you most thankful for? And is there anything else that you'd like to leave with the listeners? The friendships, more than anything else, with all this. I mean, I, I outside of work, I don't have any friends that aren't from Turkey Calling at this point in my life. Every single friend I have, I have guys that I talk to every single day on the phone. It is all because of Turkey Calling and Turkey Hunting. Yeah. So, 
the friends, the friendships I've made, just lifelong friendships, and some of the best people I've ever met. So that would be it. That was that's what I'm probably most thankful for. That's awesome. Um, Matt, you know, you took our you took our message and was willing to come on. I tried to get up with you at Nashville and I came over and talked to Jason one day and he's like, Man, I don't know if you'll see him come by here much and uh easy uh we call him e he was over there running the table for you selling box calls yeah. and i'd come over and try to find you and stuff like that and swing up and i said i'm just gonna send him a message when we get back home and settle in so man i appreciate you coming on this afternoon and taking the time out to talk with us it was really good and i think a lot of people get something out of this i appreciate you guys having me on it was fun yeah it definitely was and and like nick said to reiterate it was it was nice to Nice to hear that side of things, um, and you definitely had my interest stuff, which takes a, takes a lot sometimes <laughs> with this turkey hunting stuff, but it definitely yeah. piqued my interest. And uh, with that being said, that brings us down to the final spit of the night. And, you know, raised in Warren County, PA, and hearing schoolmates play calls to becoming the teacher of turkey calling himself, Matt may have got his start on secondhand calls hotter than a $2 pistol, but for many years, he has, been the light, he has been lighting up the calling scene with his competitive nature and driven passion. Intermediate competition is where he started, but, a top, but top of the mountain as a champion, seven times over to boot, is where he lies. The knowledge of where the future goes from here is something everyone should pay close attention to, for without the past, there is no future. Matt's mentorship, his spirit, and love for calling turkeys, not just killing them, is something to be admired. And for everyone here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for listening tonight. We want to thank Matt Van Sauce for being with us. And we want to remind you to smile as you go, but don't forget, mount the memories.